wonder if we could turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 13. Luke's Gospel, chapter 13. And we're going to read from verse 11 about the woman with a spirit of infirmity that we were singing about earlier in the meeting. That's not uh, what we're dealing with tonight. But uh, verse 11 of Luke chapter 13. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called to her, to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, and said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work in them. Therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. And the Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abram, whom Satan had bound low these eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced. For all the glorious things that were done by him. Then said he unto what is the kingdom of God like? And whereunto shall I resemble it? It is like a grain of mustard seed. Which a man took and cast into his garden. And it grew and waxed a great tree. And the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. And again he said whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. And he went through the cities and villages teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and has shut to the door, and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door, say, Lord, Lord, open to us, and he shall answer and say unto you, I, I know you not whence ye are. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, when ye shall see Abram and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And behold, there are last which shall be first and there are first which shall be last. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word to all of our hearts. Let's just unite together in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we do thank thee for thy precious word afresh tonight. 
We think, Lord, of this question. Lord, are there few that be saved? Lord, it looks like it in this world. It looks like it in our community. It looks like it so many ways around us. There are few that find the narrow way and the straight gate. But, O oh God, we pray that thou wast enable us to look to thee tonight, whether it be few or many. We thank thee that there's a way of salvation for those that come to thee. Bless and be with us tonight, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Well, as I said this morning, and maybe as you heard in the prayer there, the uh, text tonight is the question asked by the man there in verse 23, then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? We live in an age of deep ignorance of the things of God. Most people have no interest in the spiritual things, don't really ask spiritual questions. We know that deep down in the heart of man there is a spirituality. There, we are made in the image of God. Sometimes people seek to suppress that spirituality and they seek to keep it down, but sometimes it surfaces and it comes out. And we do have that religious feeling. We know that in this day, there's a sort of a hybrid religion that has come out. And people tend to believe that everybody's saved. They uh, will say when somebody passes away, uh, if a loved one's talking about them, sometimes they'll refer to the fact that they're looking down from heaven upon us, or that that person is with me. Sometimes they even have the thought that they are acting as a guardian for them. And everybody that dies, it seems, is going to heaven. Everybody that passes away is on the road to glory. But I want you to see that this man asks a question here. He says, Lord, are there few that be saved? Now, there are a number of questions, very profound questions, that are asked in the Gospels. We think of the question in Matthew 19 and verse 25, Who then can be saved? And another question about the difficulty of salvation there. And then there's a question in Luke cha or Acts chapter 16. What must I do to be saved? And you think of these questions that come to our hearts. Are there few that be saved? Um, they question who then can be saved. You think of the rich people who were, the Lord said it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom. And somebody said, who then can be saved? And you'll see the sort of surprise of the people here and the man that's asking the question here. The Lord had been going about. He had been ministering around the area of Galilee and Judea. He had been preaching the word. He had been healing the sick. He had been seeing great things done. And he had seen mighty uh, things uh, accomplished for the kingdom of God. And we think of here these people, how that the Lord came and the world knew him not. But at that time, of course, there was an expectation of the Messiah. There were many messianic prophecies that pointed to the fact that the Lord Jesus, or, or that um, rather that the Messiah would come at that time. And many people thought, well, here is the Messiah. When the Lord Jesus Christ had come, was at the height of his power, people thought, this is the Messiah. 
And their concept of the Messiah was that he would come and overthrow the Romans, that he would uh, mount a great military uh, victory against the Romans, and that there would be an uprising, that this man would be the leader, that he would lead the Jews to freedom out of their bondage, out of their shackles, as it were, and there would be a great freedom that would take place. And yet now, as time had gone on, there were many people that had forsaken the Lord Jesus. There were many people that had heard the gospel and had rejected him. Indeed, you see the religious leaders here in this portion of Scripture and other portions, and not only did they oppose the Lord Jesus Christ, but at the end they were conspiring to put him to death. And the people were looking at this and they could see the might and power of the Lord. They could, they could hear that never man speak like this man. But even though never man speak like this man, there were also many that were turning away from the Lord. There were those disciples that walked no more with him. There were those who heard his words and were offended by his words and went away. And rather than maybe being this great movement, this uh, messianic figure, he was a messiah, of course, but this messianic figure in Jewish terms who would lead them out of bondage, it seemed as if the fortunes of the Lord were declining. It seemed as if there were not many who were now following the Lord. And so this man comes in the light of all that, and he says, Lord, Are there few that be saved? Are there few that be saved? He couldn't understand how that this would be the Messiah, the mighty God of heaven, the Son of God come down, and there would be few saved. And as we have gone over the last couple of millennia, we thank God for revivals and we rejoice in the Reformation. We thank God for what has taken place, but... I think tonight we could still ask the same question. Are there few that be saved? We come to meetings like this, we preach the gospel, and it's not many times when we see precious souls come to Christ. And we ask the question, are there few that be saved? Well, I want to answer that question tonight very simply by just taking us through the propositions, as it were. There are clear propositions in this statement that is made or the answer to it that the Lord makes when he says are there few that be saved I want you to see first of all the provisional salvation because he says Lord are there few that be saved but obviously there is something called salvation the Bible surely teaches that there is a way of salvation God has provided a way of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ When we come to him by faith and repentance, there is a way of life. There is eternal life. We can say like the hymn writer, there's life for a look at the crucified wrong one. And man needs to be saved. We know that. We know that there's something fundamentally wrong in the heart of man. The Bible says, as is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none, there's none that seeketh after God. There's none. Not one. Oh, there are those that in times gone by have sought for religion or sought for power that comes from 
being a part of a religion, but there are none that seek after God unless God in his mercy reaches down and puts that thought in their heart. But laid aside even what the Bible says, man who looks at it objectively knows that there's something wrong in the heart of man. H.G. Wells, the author of um, War of the Worlds and many other great works, he didn't think that there was something wrong with the heart of man. He was um, an Enlightenment Age optimist, and he thought that everything, uh, uh, there was nothing wrong that man, with man that a little bit of social engineering wouldn't fix. There's nothing wrong with man that a little bit of education wouldn't fix. And he believed that. He thought that uh, poverty and racism and all these things, these things could be uh, abolished. And as scientific advances took place, so there would be advances in the social realm. Then came the First World War. And it was after that war, to end all wars as it were, he thought, well, there are better days ahead. That should be the end of it. And then World War II happened. And he said at the end of it, Homo sapiens, which means the rational, Homo sapiens, which is us, is spent. There's another philosopher by the name of C.E.M. Jude. And he wrote, the view of human goodness, which I adopted unthinkingly as a young man, I've come to fundamentally disbelieve. And then Nobel-winning William Golding, the author of The Lord of the Flies, said, I believed in the predictability of social man. But after the war, I was unable to. I discovered that one man, what one man can do to another Anyone who moved through those years without understanding that man produces evil as a bee produces honey must have been blind or wrong in the head. And frankly, as we have looked at things ever since, there's been war in Vietnam and Korea, there's been war in Cambodia and Rwanda, there's been war in Bosnia, there's been war in the Middle East with ISIS, there's been war in Ukraine. And dear friend, as we look at man, we can see that there is something wrong at the heart of man. There's something wrong at the heart of man. And no matter how well-intentioned that people may be at times, the people can be led into the most horrible things. You've heard the news stories coming out of Ukraine of what is taking place with some of the soldiers and the horror stories that are taking place. There is something wrong at the heart of man. The thing that is wrong at the heart of man is sin. And sin separates from God. Sin means that we cannot enter into the presence of God. So there's a necessity of salvation. Something needs to be done. But the wonderful thing about the gospel is something has been done. Our blessed Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, has gone to the cross of Calvary and paid the full price of our redemption. And he cried, it is finished, paid in full. And every part of salvation was paid so that we might be freed from this horrible bondage of sin that we're in that leads us constantly into a place of sin. It brings us into those places where we're in rebellion against God. But I'm glad tonight of the atoning sacrifice that was made on the center cross of Calvary. Our great substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ, took my sins and my sorrows, and he made them his very own. 
And he bore the burden to Calvary. And he suffered and died alone. And now by grace we're saved through faith. And that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Dear friend, there is salvation provided. Salvation provided for you. Salvation for all who will trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The sea Bible says, Whosoever, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's open to you. You are in there. You're in the whosoever. If you will call upon the name of the Lord for salvation, you'll be saved. So there is such a thing as salvation. And we can see the provision of salvation here in the word of God. But then I want you to think about the rejection of salvation. Because he says here, are there few that be saved? And obviously what he was looking at as he looked in practical uh, at the practicalities of all that he saw, and as he looked at his circumstances and his experience, he could see that there were many that were rejecting what the Lord Jesus Christ had said. You see it in the very next verse here. These are the words of the Lord Jesus. The Lord said to the people, Strive to enter in at the street gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. So, Obviously, there are those that do not enter in. The Bible doesn't preach and doesn't teach a universal salvation. It doesn't teach that everybody will get in there at the end. That somehow people will wheedle their way into the heavenly mansions and they'll get in there that God in his love and in his mercy will um, dispense with his justice and dispense with the punishments that are due and God will wink at all these things and God is such a God of love that he will uh, in every way let people pass. That's not the picture that we have in the Bible. And that's a distortion of the love of God. God's love is not against his justice. God's love cannot be overcome, or or is uh, not one that overcomes his justice. All of these things are held perfectly and fully in the Lord, and these things are there together. But I want you to think about what it says in verse 25 there. He says, if you look at verse 24 to get the context, he says, Strive to enter into the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. And then he says, When once the master of the house has risen up and has shut to the door, and ye begin to stand without to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence you are. So there, is, there are those that reject the salvation, but there's also obviously a day of grace, because he speaks about the time when the door is shut. He says, when once the master of the house has risen up and hath shut to the door. So there is salvation provided. And those that are willing to come can come and find the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior. But not all will be able to enter in because he says that there are those that will not be able to enter in. And he says also that there is a day when the door will be shut. And then he goes on and he says... And if you look at verse 27, he says, But ye shall say, I tell you, I know not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. 
There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abram and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you're yourselves thrust out. So there is a division here. We thought about the division last Lord's Day, but again there's a division. There are those that are accepted and those that are rejected. There are those that come in and those that are shut out. And again, we have that in all parts of the word of God. There is a division. If you look at Matthew chapter 13, verses 29 to 42, it says that the enemy that sowed them is the devil, speaking of the bad seed or the poisonous seed. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be at the, in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. What, what is the criteria? They that do iniquity. In other words, their sins are not covered. We all do iniquity. But there are those whose sins are covered in the precious blood of Christ. But when the angels come at the end, and when they gather men up, there will be those who are counted as sinners. And where do they end up? Into this place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. There is a clear division. Again, you have the clear division in John 3 and 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. He that believeth, and he that believeth not. Which are you? Where do you stand? Dear friend, not all are saved. Don't in any way take upon you the modern religion that says that everybody is looking down from heaven, that everybody is in that place of bliss. That's not what the Bible says. And I've got to tell you that, and I've got to warn you. And you can see, as you look at the Scriptures, this is exactly what the Word of God teaches. And this man comes and he says, Are there few that be saved? And he recognizes that not everybody is saved. In fact, he suspects that there are only few that are saved. So, we see something of the um, provision of salvation and the rejection of salvation. But then I want you to see something else as this man asked the question. There's a confusion about salvation. I want you to see the Lord's words as he answers the question, are there few that be saved? Look at Luke chapter 13, and if you look at verse 24 again, he says, Strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. And you will go on and you read what he says about them, and they will argue. So they're surprised, confused, as to the fact that they don't get in. You read there about those that are completely taken aback by the fact that they are not going to get in. And you find in the Bible that there is this uh, confusion that people have about the way of salvation. There are those who will be there who would maybe never have hoped for salvation. You think of how the Bible speaks about the vilest. You think about Zacchaeus, the publican, 
a man who robbed the people, a man who was an extortioner, a man who uh, was uh, completely callous in his dealings with others. This man, the dying thief, the man on the cross, a man who had been rightly convicted as opposed to the wrong conviction of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you think about those in the Bible, and there's a surprise about those whom the Lord saves. You think about, for example, the woman, the sinful woman that anointed the Lord's feet in Luke chapter 7. And in Luke 7, verses 37 and 38, it says, And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with oil. And this was a sinful woman. This was um, probably a woman of the street. But she comes in, and she anoints the Lord, and she uh, takes her hair, and she wipes his feet with her hair. And we read about what the Pharisees think in verse 39. It says, Now when the Pharisees, which had, for the Pharisee which had bidden him sought, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And these people were appalled. But the Lord said in verse 15, And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. So there was a surprise. You think about the publican that's mentioned in the parable in Luke 18. And this man stood afar off. He was again another one of these extortioners. And he would not so much as lift up his head to heaven. He was so ashamed of what he was. And yet the Lord looked at that man. And he said this man went down to his house justified. How could a wicked Sinner and extortioner like that go down to his house justified. Well, the reason was that he cried to God, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's what made the difference. And dear friend, the thing is, it's not what you've done. It's not how good you've been or how many people you've helped in your life. It's whether you've asked the Lord, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the criteria. That's the crux of the matter. You think again of Zacchaeus, another publican. Or you think of the lawbreaker, the thief on the cross. And all of these people, they were those that were despised. They were those that were in the very dregs of society. And yet the Lord in his mercy lifted them up. And in this day, there are thieves and murderers and extortioners. And one of the things that people cannot understand is how they can get to heaven. Surely they're condemned. Surely there's no way back for the murderer, for the uh, extortioner, for the person that has taken people for granted. And yet there is, dear friend, this is the crux and the very good news of the gospel, that wicked, vile sinners can be saved. But on the other side of the coin, there are those good, upright people. There are those that walk the clean side of the road. And they think that all is well and attend meetings and they go along and maybe read their Bibles and they've been brought up in a good home and they've been brought up to uh, give, uh, as they used to say, 20 shillings to the pound, 100 pence in the pound and they used to do, they do everything that they can to help their neighbours. And dear friend, 
It might take you by surprise to learn that you're not saved. And there are many people who will stand before God on the judgment day and they will find that all the good works will end in the Lord saying to you, I never knew you. Depart from me. Look again in Luke chapter 13. Look at verses 25 to 27. He says, When once the master of the house has risen up and has shut to the door, and ye began to stand without the knock of the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. Does the Lord know you? Do you know the Lord? This is the thing. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence. Oh, we've been in your presence. And thou hast taught in our streets. We've heard the teaching of the Lord. We've been at children's meeting and Sunday school. We've been at evangelical churches. We thought that everything was okay, but it's not. It says in Romans 3 and 20, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And it makes it clear in Ephesians 2, For by grace are ye saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. Dear friend, are you saved tonight? We have got to believe. The Bible speaks of repentance and belief. You've got to believe. You've got to come put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there is the condition of salvation. It is that you repent and come and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was asked the question by the Philippine jailer, what must I do to be saved? And the simple answer was, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You see the Lord's answer to the question here. He says, strive to enter in at the straight gate. Now that seems to uh, indicate work. But dear friend, what it does indicate, it just means that it's difficult. You've got to strive. It's not easy. The devil will wrestle with you. The flesh will in every way seek to put you off the way of salvation. There will be a battle royal that will go on in your heart. If God is speaking with you, if the Holy Spirit is dealing with your soul tonight, there will be a battle royal that will be going on. And the devil's not going to let you go without a, without a fight. And he says, strive to enter in. The word is agonized, uh, oh my. And it is a word from which we get our word agonize, agonize to enter in. But you know the Lord says that if we're going to enter in, we've got to deny ourselves. We've got to leave behind our sin. We've got to leave behind everything, the sin and the weight that doth so easily beset us. And we've got to leave behind everything that will hold us back. And we've got to get in there. Dear friend, it's the most important thing. It's the most vital thing in your life that you're saved because when he comes to eternity, that's the thing that will matter. And so the Lord says, agonize to enter in. Don't, don't leave this thing as some kind of uh, afterthought in your life. Don't leave it as something that you're going to put off. Agonize, he says, to enter in. But you come, you enter in by repentance and faith. You enter in by putting the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's very interesting to 
Think of the Bible history of the word repent. In the Hebrew, the word that means repent, it just means to uh, literally to take a deep breath and a sigh. A deep breath and a sigh. It speaks of sorrow. It speaks of remorse. And repentance at the root, at the very beginning, the very core idea is a deep down feeling, a feeling, a groan that's inside you. Do you feel that tonight? A groan, a feeling that's inside you? Dear friend, this feeling has got to result in action. It's got to result in action because repentance, well, yes, it is a deep down feeling. The word then developed into the uh, thought of action, doing something. There's a turnaround. The Greek word that is translated uh, repentance just means to turn around. Dear friend, there's got to be a turn in your life. You can't just go sailing on on the road that leads to destruction. There's got to be a turn. There's got to be a turn. Have you turned to the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, one more thing I want you to see tonight, and that's the enumeration of salvation. The question at the end is how many are saved? Are there few that be saved? Now, I've got to say that there is a difference in interpretation as to whether there are few. If you look actually, you'll see that the Lord doesn't actually answer the question. Now, there are other places in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, he speaks about straight as the gate and narrow the way that leadeth to life and few there be that find it. But if you were to turn to the book of Revelation in chapter 7, and I think it's maybe verse 9, hopefully, Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, it speaks there anyway of a great multitude that no man can number. He say, right, verse 9, he says, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Now, many people, including John Edwards, uh, Benjamin Warfield, Lorraine Botner, uh, men like that, believe that there are many that are saved. I think Calvin, too. Or, or not, not, they believe that few are saved. No, actually, they believe that many are saved. Calvin believed that few are saved. Many, like him, believe that uh, few were saved. There are others then that take the other verse. You think about how that it speaks about the end of the day that there's this great multitude of no man can number of every nation and tribe and tongue. And if you look at verse 29, it says, and they, this is the Lord's reply to the question. He says, And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. Now, what I think about it is that in any particular era, few are saved. 
Now you look at our town, you look at our district, you look around you, there are few that are saved. There's not many that are truly born again of the Spirit of God. The great multitude out there have no time for God or the things of God. There are few that are saved. But I do believe that at the end of the day that there is going to be a great revival that will take place and that God will bring many into the kingdom of God. And we certainly know that at the end of the day there will be a great multitude that no man can number. It's one of these things that we can debate. The Lord doesn't actually answer the question directly. He does say, few there be that find it, but also it speaks about the great multitude that no man can number. Maybe at the end of the day there'll be more, some people say, there'll be more in heaven than there are in hell. But at the end of the day, the numbers don't matter. Because the thing that matters is, are you saved? We can debate about how few or many there will be, whether it be the majority that are saved or the minority that are saved. And it's wonderful to think about it, and it's a nice question to try and debate. But at the end of the day, are you saved? Are you washed in the precious blood of the Lamb? Are you one with whom the Lord is able to fellowship and bring into his kingdom? Because that's the fundamental thing. We can think about questions, and this man asked the question. Many of the questions that were asked of the Lord, sometimes they were to trip him up. I don't know whether this question really was to trip him up or not. But dear friend, whether Muslim or atheist, whether Hindu or whatever it is, there's one way of salvation, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's what you do with Christ that matters at the end of the day. And I bid you come to him. I bid you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Whether there are few or many that are saved, if there's few, that you're part of the few. If there's many, that you're part of the many. But come tonight in repentance and call upon the Lord for salvation and mercy. And God will save you to the uttermost. May God write his word upon our hearts for his name's sake. Let's just bow in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we do thank thee for thy salvation. Our God, we have been thinking about whether there are few or many that are saved. And Lord, we don't really know at the end of the day. But Lord, we thank thee for each one of us that are in. Whether there are few or many, we're in. We're in thy kingdom. We're part of the redeemed of God. We pray, Lord, that that might be the case with each one of us. O oh God, that there may be none that will find themselves on that day protesting to God when he says, I never knew you. Depart from me. Bless thy word. Write it upon our hearts. For Jesus' sake, amen. And once again, I'm saying if I can help you in any way, I'm your servant for the Lord's sake. Would you trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? The hymn 225 is our closing hymn. We'll sing a couple of verses of it. Have you any room for Jesus? He who bore your load of sin, as he knocks and asks admission, sinner, will you let him in? 
We'll sing the first two verses of the hymn and we'll stand as we sing. Have you any room for Jesus? He who bore your load of sin As he knocks and asks admission Sinner, will you let him in? Run for Jesus, King of glory Hasten not his word Widely open, bid him enter while you Our loving God and our gracious Father, we pray that men and women would allow Christ to enter. We pray that there might be that closing in with God's great offer of mercy tonight. Save the lost, bless thy word, part us in thy fear and with thy blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with thy people both now and and in the incoming days, for Jesus' sake, amen. Amen.